Has it ever occurred to you just how incredible grapes are? Now think about it. That little box of raisins your mother packed in your lunch bag was the only fruit that qualified as a dessert. And consider this. When we hear juicy gossip, we say we heard it through the grapevine. We didn't hear it through the apple tree or the berry bush. Grapes are so darn special that the grocery store expects us to snitch a few to ensure quality control. Try doing that with a banana or a pineapple. Admit it, every encounter you've ever had with grapes has been positive. That's why we created Grape Encounters, a place for adults to hang out and focus on the paramount achievement of grapedom. Delicious, irresistible wine. Wine brings people together. It starts conversations. It makes us happy. In fact, wherever there are grapes, there's gorgeous scenery, very cool people, and plenty of laughter. All that being said, let's bring out your guide for this journey. The Wizard of Wine, the Gangster of Grape, David Wilson. You know, I have to admit, looking back at the shows that we've been doing the past couple of months, I have had some really bizarre guests on that are doing really interesting or strange things. But I think that today's guest might be the end-all to beat-all in terms of having a very strange and interesting life that spills into the world of wine. Oh my gosh, I don't even want to introduce him by saying what he does. I just want to bring him on and have him help me explain what he does because... It's really all over the board, and it has to do with wine in a number of different ways, including, get this, planting grapes in the Himalayas. I can't even say that with a straight face. Like, if I was at a party, and I said, oh yeah, I was talking to this guy, he's a runner, and he plants grapes in the Himalayas and grows wine up there, people would just go, yeah, right, sure. Anyway, his name is Michael Jurgens, and Michael, welcome to the show. You're a listener. I am, David. I've been a listener for a long time. You actually were one of the first podcasts. I glommed onto when I was trying to up my wine game. So it's amazing for me to actually be a guest on your show after having listened to it so many times. First of all, I appreciate it. And second of all, I want to warn you that guys in high-powered positions like yourself, and we'll get into that, have been known to quit those careers and just devote their entire life to wine. But I think you're doing that on your own anyway, for the most part. You work for one of the big four accounting firms, right? Do we call them accounting uh, firms? Yeah, big Big four accounting firms or big four firms, you know, most of them do a lot more than just accounting. But uh, yeah, big four or large global firm. Yeah. Really big, by the way, ginormous big. And I can't say their name because it would have to go through a whole legal department, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> trying to, trying to play, play by the rules. Yeah. Okay. Just suffice to say, he's got a nice office. Let's just, <laughs> let's just say that. <laughs> and you're a senior partner too in this ginormous firm, right? That is correct. Yeah. I've actually been a partner in the firm for 20 years. So talk to me about your hobbies, because that's sort of where wine enters into the picture. You're a motorcycle guy, right? You build motorbikes, right? That's what I've read. Yep. You're in motorcycles, hot, hot rods, hot rods. I was going to hot rods. I was going to say, right. Uh, you, yep. you probably parachute, I imagine. <laughs> I, I, have, I have parachuted. Yes. Uh, how about hang gliding? I have never done hang gliding. Um, oh, no, but, uh, I, w I would. It's not from a lack of wanting to it just probably has never presented itself, but I do it in a heartbeat. Where, yeah. Paragliding. 
I was actually watching these guys in New Zealand that have this new style of paragliding with a rigid frame. So they can do 360 barrel rolls and they call it like speed flying. I uh, am dying to try that too. So when I was 13 years old, I built a hang glider and I lived out in the country and then all the kids came out of the woodwork and they would watch me building this hang glider out of, of all things, PVC plastic. And the wing material was those black tarps that you buy at Home Depot, right? And then I reinforced the edges of the tarp with duct tape and then hole punched it with a leather hole puncher. And then I used cord to strap it on. And at first, all the other kids said, you're completely out of your mind. But then when they finally saw the thing all put together, right? They're like, wow, this might be something, right? But PVC is very flexible. The end of the story is my brothers, they loaded up my hang glider. We went to a little hill down the road. I strapped that sucker on it and I ran. And guess what? It got off the ground five feet, then 10 feet, and then bam, the wings broke in two and David lands in a cactus patch. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a great story. That was the end of my flying career. The entire evening was my mother and my brothers with tweezers. Oh, uh, terrible. But uh, suffice to say, this isn't about me. It's about you. You're an adventure guy, right? Yep, I'd like to think so. Do you have a toy hauler? I don't actually have a toy hauler. You don't? Okay. No. Don't you have to have one of those to be a, a true adventurer? Well, a lot of the dumb stuff that I do usually takes place in other countries around the world. And so it's hard to get a toy hauler to the Himalayas or Antarctica. So it's usually me with a rucksack full of gear going off somewhere to do something stupid. So you're in the Himalayas. Now, how long ago was this? This was maybe about six or seven years ago. Yeah. And you're a runner, right? Yeah. So we went to the Himalayas to run a marathon. Did anybody explain to you that the altitude is quite high there? (laughs) Well, okay. So if you really want to know the truth behind it. I really do. My girlfriend had read a book about Bhutan when she was in high school. And um, somehow that book spoke to her. And so she always wanted to go to Bhutan. And I had been on a running distribution list where they sent out an email saying, we got permission to go to Bhutan to run a marathon. Who wants to go? And I said, me, I'm going to surprise my girlfriend. And so I signed us up. I actually didn't know it was in the Himalayas. I thought it was an island in Indonesia. What? <laughs> no. So, so then when I found out that it was in the Himalayas, it was quite a surprise to realize I had just agreed to go run a marathon at altitude in the Himalayas. So, For a guy who lives at sea level, you know, it's pretty daunting. So at the lowest elevation that the marathon was at, what would it be? So the marathon actually kind of starts around 7,000 feet, a little bit above 7,000 feet. And then it it, kind of ends at about 5,200 feet. So you sort of go downhill, but there's a lot of ups and downs, but you generally end up lower than where you started. But still, I mean, 7,000 feet is no joke. Well, you know, I, for a long time, I was an avid cyclist. You can't tell by the spare tire that I wear now, but I did a lot of long distance cycling, but I lived up in Lake Arrowhead up in the mountains and we're talking about 5,400 feet. And I'd lived there for a really long time. So I was very acclimated to the altitude there, but then I would go down and I would do these 50 mile bike rides. We would say down the hill and I just go screaming past everybody because I was used to the higher altitude, but it works in reverse. I imagine when you are living at the beach and then you go up to 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, I want to die thousand feet, right? <laughs> it is quite different. Yes. And I actually bought like some altitude 
training devices when I was training for that race to try to get acclimated to the higher altitudes. I, I, I would have bought a bunch of those little cartridges that you use to fill your tires with. They've got the compressed air in them and then you yeah. just feel the tire. You know, I wouldn't be filling the tires. I would just like puncture the thing and I'd be... <sighs> <sighs> Everybody yeah, I used a couple of different methods. You know, I don't know how bad it would have been if I hadn't done it, but it was pretty tough as it was. So You were in pretty good shape, though. Yeah, certainly at, at the time, I was in better shape than I am now. I haven't sat around for 18 months in, in my house. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so where we're going with the story, everybody's going, David, this is not a story about bicycling or running or hang gliding or hot rodding or motorcycle riding or any of this. It's a wine show for Pete's sake. Talk about the wine. We're going to. Because here's the deal. Our runner here, Michael, is in the Himalayas and he must have been smoking something or it was the high altitude that was making him a little delirious. And he looks at these mountains and says, gosh, there ought to be grapes there. That's pretty much exactly what happened. Michael Jurgens, that is very strange. Well, you know, Bhutan has this beautiful agriculture-based economy and these beautiful terrace slopes. Right. It'll blow your mind looking at some of this stuff. And, and they grow some of the world's best crops there in these obscure verticals. And so when I was there, I just assumed there's got to be vineyards somewhere. So everywhere I went, I was asking all the locals, hey, where's the vineyards? Where's the vineyards? Because I just wanted to check them out while I was there. Wow. And it turns out they didn't have any. Wow. So, 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 so I, I fixed that. Okay. So we're going to find out how you fixed it when we come back with more Grape Encounters. We're talking to Michael Jurgens. He's the Ernest Hemingway of wine. You know, he goes off to obscure places, has these wild adventures and says, the only thing that's missing is wine. And then he fixes it. So we're going to learn how he fixed it. And boy, what a great story this is. When we return with Grape Encounters. Walk into Total Wine and More, and you may just pinch yourself. With over 13,500 hand-picked wines, spirits, and beer, there's something delicious to discover around every corner. And their friendly guides are right by your side, eager to help you pick up the slack in your wine rack. Or recommend a bottle or two to match your menu. A crisp Pinot Grigio pairs with shrimp scampi or even potato salad. Bold cabs with balanced tannins bring out the best in Korean short ribs and a bacon cheeseburger. Sip a sparkling rosé when you're serving salmon any which way. When it comes to what's in store, you'll find all your faves. Always at the best prices in town. So what'll it be today? Choose curbside pickup, in-store pickup, shipping or delivery. Explore more in store or at TotalWine.com. You're listening to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. We offer something for everyone. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to offer free wine. That's what your friends are for. If you're a frequent Grape Encounters radio listener, you know that our show is all about inclusiveness. For far too long, wine consumers have felt left out, simply because a small minority of, well, let's call them out, wine snobs have dominated the conversation. For 12 years, it's been my mission to give you, the wine enthusiasts that just want to have fun, a front row seat to everything that's cool about wine. And while we have a very intimate thing going on here, I've been thinking that we can take things where no radio or TV program has gone before. And so beginning next week, I'm inviting you and your friends to get together with me for a private online party. This isn't a big streaming free-for-all event. It's you, me, and your guests. You decide what you want to talk about, we'll set a time, then it's party time. 
So email me using the contact form at grapeencounters.com. Tell me a little bit about how we can make this fun for you, and I'll respond to as many requests as I can. Just drop me a note at grapeencounters.com. You know, people often ask us if it's okay to chill wine in the freezer. The answer is simple. Only if your phone has a timer on it. Countless bottles have exploded in freezers because no one was watching the time. An hour is perfect. After that, you're playing with fire. Well, actually, you're playing with ice. But for now, just sit back and chill as we continue today's show with David Wilson. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio and a very interesting guest today. There's no adventure that I think scares him away. We're talking to Michael Jurgens, and we were just talking about him running a marathon in the Himalayas. Why? Because he thought it was an island in the Pacific or something. He had no idea that you could actually touch the stars from there. So at what point, Michael, did you realize that you were going to a high elevation place or did you actually land there and go, wait a second, where's the beach? <laughs> no, actually what happened was when I broke the surprise to her that we were going to Bhutan, she jumped up and was dancing around and she's like, I can't believe it, we're going to the Himalayas. And I go, what are you talking about? We're not going to the Himalayas, we're going to Indonesia. And she goes, no, we're not. And I didn't believe her. I went and looked it up on my phone. I'm like, oh my God, we are going to the Himalayas. Well, that, that changes things a little bit, but so, it just made it even more exciting. I was like, this is going to be the greatest adventure. And it turns out it has been so far. So so she was a big Bhutan fan. In high school, was she a Bhutan twirler? <laughs> no, she was actually a track runner. Oh, so she was a runner too. Did, yeah. did she run in the marathon as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, she did. Okay. Did she beat you? Um, We finished together. You finished together. Yeah. When you got to the finish line, did you just sort of lay back just a little bit and let her go just a, a foot ahead of you? No. So <laughs> she, she was a state champion sprinter and I am more built for distance rather than speed. And so there's a long debate about who's a better runner. So, no, there's no laying back. So, you guys are competitive for sure. Totally, yeah. So, did you train and run every day? Well, so we've been doing this thing called the Grand Slam. The idea is you run a marathon on every continent and then you run a marathon on the sea ice around the North Pole. And that's called the Grand Slam. And only a few people have done it. So I'm doing it with some of my buddies. I think that year I ran six or seven marathons already. The only thing I did different for the Himalayas was I did more breath work. But the running part, I didn't stress too much about. So a run like this would be how long distance-wise? 26.2 miles. But at altitude. But at altitude. And the thing about it too is, is like for some races you run for speed. This, just the glory and the beauty of Bhutan. Like we were, we were running through villages and we're stopping to high-five the kids that are coming out and stopping to take pictures of the yaks and the monkeys. We were taking our sweet time. It was more of a journey race than a speed race. So you're an international kind of guy, but you're in Bhutan. Did you notice that there was a wine deficit there? Well, so when I first got serious about studying about wine, I traveled to pretty much every global wine region just to see it. You know, David, like if you go to a place and experience the wine there, yeah. you understand it at a deeper level. And so I had been all over the world, all these places. And to me, this just felt like it was a wine place. And so I kept asking people, where's the vineyards? And turns out they didn't have it. And so I said, hey, you guys should do this. And I ended up at a dinner with a bunch of government officials. And I asked, you know, where's the vineyards? They said, we don't have any. And I said, you should do this. And um, I got a little bit maybe over my skis about saying, you must do this. If you don't do 
this. You're wasting this beautiful terroir. You must do this for the country. And they listened to me. And I went back to California and I did a bunch of research and I wrote a white paper about why I thought Bhutan would be great for wine. And I emailed it to them. Yeah. And I had no intention of being the guy planting the grapes, but I just thought it would be cool if they did it. And so I never heard anything back. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, maybe, you know, a few years from now, there'll be some vineyards there and I'll go and maybe there'll be a little plaque with my name on it. Hey, thanks, Mike, for giving us the, the spur that we needed. But about two years later, I had so much fun running the marathon the first time I went back to do it again. Okay. And when I was back there the second time, all these government people were like, hey, were you the wine guy? And I was like, yeah, can we get a meeting with you or a lunch or whatever? And I was like, sure. So I started talking to these folks. Turns out everybody read the white paper. <laughs> so, and they were like, do you think that we could do this? And I said, absolutely. Here's why. I've studied this. I'm you know, training to be a master of wine. I've been everywhere. This will work for you. And it'll be transformative for your culture. And I think it would be a really cool thing if you did it. And they said, well, what do we do next? And I said, no problem. And I went back to California and I wrote up a 10-year business plan, drafted out all the different work streams. And I emailed it out to him and said, do this. And I want to come visit the vineyards sometime in the future. Let me know when it's done. And they said, we want to do this. And I go, cool. And they said, we want to do it with you. And I was like, wow, okay. Wow. Um, and so that took a little bit of soul searching on my part because the Himalayas are not geographically convenient to Los Angeles. No. But, but at the end of the day, I like, think about, you know, the people that brought vines to Australia, you know, in the 1800s or Andre Shilichek, you know, building out Napa when it was, there was nothing there. And just like, like seeing this opportunity and getting to do it. I don't know that there's a country in the world today that has the organic potential to produce great wine grapes that doesn't already. I think this is the last great wine frontier, the last adventure. And I get to be the guy that does it. Like how freaking cool is that? How do you say no to that? That's the really cool thing about grapes is that there are grapes that will grow in virtually every climate imaginable. People love wine so much. We thought at one point that cockroaches were going to take over the world, but they think it might be grapevines. Eventually, they're going to get revenge for stealing their babies, the grapes, and then they're just going to wrap themselves around and strangle the human beings and they're going to take over. We'll make a movie about it. It's going to be called Planet of the Grapes. <laughs> I, hey, I would prefer that over Planet of the Cockroaches any day. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So what happens next? They meet with you. It's a serious meeting. How long between the meeting and the first shovel into the ground. So it took about two years. And I think the country was excited to try it, but they weren't convinced that it would necessarily work. And also, you know, Bhutan's the only carbon negative country on the planet, and they're on track to be the only 100% organic country on the planet. So they also are not super keen on, let's go import a bunch of foreign species, you know, and start planting them. So we had to do a very deliberate process, and we had to get everybody on board. The Ministry of Forest and Agriculture, the Ministry of Economic Affairs, everybody had to sort of all have their say in, in how we want to do this in a very controlled and deliberate fashion. And so we did that. I have some partners in the country who are Bhutanese and have sort of the right connections to help those conversations happen. And we finally got everyone convinced, let's give this a try and see what happens. And we planted the first six vineyards. So they're in fourth leaf this year. So we planted one-year-old vines three years ago, six different vineyards, and we're seeing what's happening. I keep getting this picture in my head of other senior partners in that big four firm that you work at, you know, coming into your office and saying, uh, Mike, can we we have a word with you. I think this grape thing in Bhutan, maybe 
distracting you from your work and your day job. <laughs> the good news is we have a pretty good team. The company that we set up in the U.S. has a CEO and a viticulturalist and a team that's doing it. We have a company in Bhutan that has a team of people. So in theory, I'm not as distracted as I could be if I was you know, spending okay. all my time all working right. on this. But, okay. yeah. but, but yes, I will tell you, there are some folks uh, who I work with who when they find out that my job is basically hanging around wineries, they're like, oh, you won the corporate lottery, man. <laughs> You certainly did. You certainly did. Michael Juergens is on with me today, and we haven't even talked about SoCal Rum Company yet, so we're going to do that. Yeah, I I said it, SoCal Rum Company, so there's more to life than just wine. There's rum. Anyway, we'll uh, get into that when we return with Grape Encounters and my guest, Michael Juergens. Immerse yourself in the breathtaking surroundings that make Oregon a must-visit. Taste unrivaled wines. Indulge in lavish culinary creations. Savor the very best of Oregon as you bid on exclusive auction items and wine futures. All to transform healthcare through the Asante Foundation. Join us at the beginning of October for the Oregon Wine Experience. Visit TheOregonWineExperience.com to be part of this unique celebration. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters. Did you know that in Old England, the word grape actually means berry? However, back in the day, grapes didn't want to be lumped in with raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, and so on. So they refrained from going by the name Grapeberry. That's what we love about grapes, always thinking. And we're thinking it would be a very good idea to turn Dave's mic back on. David? So I used to think I had a charmed life. Well, not the last year and a half, but normally I get to travel the world and drink great wines with fun people and just do really cool things. But I am going to concede to Michael Jurgens because he's got the life. I picture you, Michael, in an Aston Martin just buzzing around the Amalfi Coast and all of the beautiful Italian women yelling out your name as you pass by and maybe you toss them a bottle of SoCal rum. Is that about correct? That, that's more or less, yeah. I, you know, I swing <laughs> by the casino to play a couple of hands of Baccarat, you know, you know, before jumping back in the Aston Martin and cruising off. You have a good life, right? I would say I don't know that my life is for everybody, but 
God, for me, I get to live every day like it's the greatest day of my life. It's, it's just awesome. Are you slowing down at all? Well, the pandemic has slowed me down a little bit, but I don't feel like I am. I still have a marathon to go run on at the North Pole on the sea ice. And uh, there's probably still a couple wine regions I haven't visited. And I got another 1,900 acres to plant in the Himalayas. And yeah. I well, got there's good news and bad news about that run at the North Pole. So I'll, I'll give you the bad news first. That global warming thing is for real. Okay. The good news is, however, you won't be running on ice. There's none. Of, there, <laughs> by the time you you get there, there won't be any left. So just be like dirt trails. Hey, it's funny that you say that because that is a huge issue. Last year's run, they had to go sit in Iceland for like three weeks because the ice wasn't thick enough to land there. And so, yeah, we got to, we got to do it before it's gone. Yeah. By the way, I, I said that in jest because you either have to laugh about it or cry about it. And anybody that knows me knows I am definitely a climate change guy, global warming guy, meaning that I believe it with every fiber of my being. And those of you who insist on sending me letters about it every time I bring it up, it's like, don't bother. You're wasting your time. You're not going to change my mind. You're just not going to change my mind. It's it, What's happening is terrible. Our world has gotten super weird. And I, I think that's why. What say ye, Michael? So what's interesting to me is that there are definitely wine regions that have made their existence based on some really narrow climate bands, right? Champagne would be the obvious example example. And so as climate change happens, you know, those wine regions are in real trouble. For me, it, it makes Bhutan more interesting. Yeah. Because we Bhutan at the south end of the country is about 500 feet in elevation. And at the north end, it's like 27,000 feet. So in a span of about 300 miles north to south, you have every climate zone known to man. Wow. So for me, as I think about climate change and 50 years from now, what's Champagne going to be like, for example? Bhutan, I can just go 10 miles up the up the river and get into a whole new climate zone and plant plant more vineyards. So it, it, it's, it's fascinating from a cool story about wine. But if you really think about what's going on long term with viticulture in the world, I think Bhutan becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah, you know, you guys can sit around and go, oh, you know, the cab crop just did not turn out the way we had hoped. That's the bad news. But the good news is we're moving it up 3,000 feet. Right. <laughs> and, we'll, yeah. you know, we've got a we've got a plan that every four years, we're going to move it up 3,000 feet and that ought to work out just fine. Yeah. When, when we get to 27,000 feet, we might... <laughs> We, we might we might have a problem okay but but we'll all be dead by then so it doesn't yeah, yeah. if grapes are growing at 27,000 feet the world's got bigger issues to worry about yes <laughs> hopefully hopefully I won't have to worry about that in my lifetime but the issue with the yeah moving it a little bit to take you know advantage of you know 10 degrees change in a 45 minute drive is is interesting well this is the, well this is a really super serious and real thing there are Lots and lots and lots of grape growers who are moving to higher ground. They are moving to higher ground because the grapes are not doing well at the elevations that they used to do well at. So they got to get them up a little bit higher. They got to get to a little cooler climate. And, you know, when, when you say to somebody, well, you, you know, the temperatures are changing two degrees, let's say two degrees. For most of us, whether we have the thermostat in the house set at 71 or 73 doesn't really matter too much. We're not going to notice much of a difference. But in the grand scheme of things and how the world reacts to temperature, two degrees is a big deal. It's a really 
really big deal. Well, and for grapes, you know, you, you think about that's probably 300, 350 points on the Winkler scale. That moves you into a different zone for, for varietal management. That two degrees, that's a big impact. And if you have a bunch of Merlot planted and all of a sudden you need to plant something that's a little bit more hardy, that's a problem. So you know? what do we have planted in Bhutan? So we have 13 different varietals across eight vineyards currently. Um, there's probably about 50 acres in total. Of, I have about 100 acres that's plantable, but I'm sort of phasing it in because we're seeing what grows well where. The altitudes range from about 3,000 feet to about 9,000 feet. And we're growing eight reds, which are all the Bordeaux varietals. So Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, Merlot. Some Rhone varietals. I've got Syrah and, of course, the god of all grapes, Pinot Noir. And then Sangiovese and Champernillo. This guy is not the god of all grapes. <laughs> Heresy, my friend. Pinot is, is the it god is of all not, grapes. It is not the god of all grapes. <laughs> it, it wants to be, but you don't have to love Pinot Noir to love wine. That is true. I'm sorry. We have a world of Pinot prisoners. We've been told that if you don't like Pinot, that you're not a wine enthusiast. You're a loser. You're, well, a, you know, you're, a, is, you're a loser if you don't like Pinot. When I started, I, I always thought Pinot was kind of too light a wine for me. I came to it kind of later in life. And rightly or wrongly, it sort of eventually spoke to me and I eventually got it. But I sort of resisted the Pinot thing for a number of years. And now I have a tattoo of the Latosh vineyard. So, you know, the, <laughs> go figure. You know? All right. So have you made wines now from some of the harvests? Are we no, there? So not, we have, not yet? Not yet? Not yet. So I didn't talk about the whites. So for the whites, we have five. We have Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blanc, Riesling, and Petit Mansin. So we had a first round of grapes last year, but Bhutan is sort of sandwiched in between China and India. And both of those countries are having some big COVID issues. And so Bhutan had the borders completely closed last year. So we couldn't go over there to make wine. So we plan on making wine this year and harvest is right about now. And they had a 21 day quarantine in effect up until literally last week. So now they've reduced it to 14 days. So we made the hard decision again this year to let the grapes fall. So we'll have our first actual production run next summer. God willing, right? But we'll see what happens with the pandemic, but that's the plan. The key for for us in Bhutan is this sort of dialing in the the varietal to the microclimate and then all of the nuances of you know do you trellis it high do you trellis it low you know how do you how do you prune and, and that sort of thing and trying to match that up and you know like in Burgundy they had monks worrying about that stuff for a couple hundred years and taking notes and they figured it out we're trying to figure it out on a much faster timeline and the good news is we have a lot more technology available to us a lot more knowledge we've got a really good viticulturalist on our team who's a professor at Cornell who Who's, who's kind of really on the leading edge of, of how we're thinking about using tech to do like satellite imaging and identify climate zones to put vineyards in, things like that. So, so I, I'm, we'll I, see. I, I want to talk to you about how you approached this project once you got a green light, just exactly what you did. And I'm sure that you're one of those people that finds the very best talent that is out there and brings it into a project like that. So I want to talk about that next when we return. And uh, we are talking to Michael Jurgens, uh, who is responsible for bringing winemaking to Bhutan. And everybody's going, what? Bhutan. Yeah, Bhutan in the Himalayas. I mean, it's such a, it's a, it's a weird sounding story, but it's also a really cool story. And I can't wait to taste the wines. And Michael, I want to, I want to go and spend a month there and I want to do my show from there. You are more than welcome to, my friend, and I have a very nice house that you can stay at that's not used a lot of the time, and you are more than welcome. Anyone who goes to Bhutan, it's a life-changing event. I'll dress, country I'll, is. I'll dress like a monk, too. So you can, <laughs> yeah, you, you can do that, or you can wear the Bhutanese go. 
Oh, that's that, the traditional oh, garb. Okay, that sounds good. By the way, I did want to mention you were mentioning monks, and you know, in California, we owe a lot to the monks, and yeah. also Father Unipero Serra. He planted, you know, his his team planted grapes all the way up and down the coast, and so uh, yeah, there's a, a a big strong tie between religion and wine. That's a that's another story, but I digress. We'll be back with more grape encounters right after this. Savor every drop of summer at Total Wine and More, because we've got a sizzling lineup of pours for the great outdoors, featuring our top 12 wines under $15. Taste your way to a new favorite. Try ready-to-freeze cocktail pops and fun, fizzy hard seltzers. And here's our recipe for a delicious late summer evening. Take smoked ribs, good friends, and just add Cabernet. Let your imagination go grill crazy, from good old-fashioned hot dogs to turkey burgers with all the trimmings. You can't go wrong with fruity and fresh reds. And when it comes to seafood, salmon and tuna swim nicely with Chardonnay. So, no matter if you're grilling, chilling, or both, you're sure to find cool prices on over 8,000 wines, 4,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers in-store or at TotalWine.com. These days, it is critically important for you to like us on our Facebook group page or any other social media you connect with us on. Those likes help keep us going strong. Also, if you're listening to us on a podcast, please consider writing a review or giving us a thumbs up or five stars. It's what enables us to take you on trips around the world and share things about wine that are often overlooked. Thanks for being a part of the family. Words can be very confusing. When you're crazy, people say that you're nuts. But what if you're crazy about nuts? Well, that doesn't mean that you should be sent to the funny farm. It means that you should be sent to the farm of MM Organics, the producers of organic heirloom walnuts and walnut products that are so incomparably unique and delicious, other nuts will be reduced to wallflowers. Whoops, there we go with those crazy meanings of words again. After all, if being a wallflower means disappearing into the background, then why does being a walnut from MM Organics mean standing out from the rest? Confused? Well, you won't be when you discover the glorious deliciousness of walnut halves, baking pieces, fair trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and other scrumptious walnut products from MM Organics. Learn more and order yours at mmorganics.com, where you'll also find our utterly irresistible two-horse Portuguese dessert wine that everyone goes nuts for. Get crazy at mmorganics.com. has been around for 8,000 years. But if you happen to have any bottles that old in your cellar, you might want to drink them sooner than, than later. Actually, if you've got 8,000-year-old bottles in your cellar, they're fakes. Bottles didn't show up until the 17th century, so you might want to just put those pseudo-relics on eBay with a proper disclosure, of course. Anyway, let's continue with a show that never tries to fake you out. Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. So, our guest Michael Jurgens initially thought he was running a marathon on some tropical island, but that was just a little oversight. 
He's in the beautiful Himalayas. So what's the difference? Well, the altitude would be the difference when you're running. But as he's looking at the terrain, he's thinking to himself, man, you know, the only thing that would make this even more beautiful than it already is, is grapevines. So he starts talking about whether or not they're making wine in Bhutan, which was where he was at. Turns out, Bhutan wine? No. Michael, they sip tea there, I imagine, right? Yeah, a lot of tea. Actually, they do make wine there, but they import bulk wine primarily from India, although they just started importing some bulk wine from South Africa, and they kind of bottle it locally. So there actually is some wine locally, and they also make a peach wine. A peach wine? I'm sure that's probably pretty tasty, right? No? Uh, I'm sure that there are some people that would find that style delicious. That was very diplomatic (laughs) of you. (laughs) Okay. So these guys get back in touch with you, and they go, hey, you know what? You pitched this idea, and you wrote this white paper even about it and we're seriously thinking about this and then you have further discussions and it's green lighted but you're not a winemaker i'm not a winemaker you know you're a guy who's studying for the highest credentials that you can get in the wine business but you're still not a winemaker so how do you go about advising people who know nothing about wine how to make wine and i'm sure that you would only make great wine or you wouldn't make wine at all right yep there's a lot of things that i'm not i'm also not a farmer i'm also not a marketing guy you know i'm not a regulatory guy the key with any type of venture like this is you get people who are talented but more importantly share a vision of where we're going with this thing and so you know i interviewed a lot of different people for different roles within the organization and, and And we were fortunate enough to to just find some exceptional talent who sort of believe in this story that says, we have this magical wonderland of agriculture. (laughs) We think it could be this magical vinifera producing country and be globally relevant from a fine wine perspective. And how do we get there? And we know that we're going to have some failures along the way. I know that not all the grapes that we planted there are going to work. And that's okay. For us, it's trying to figure out how to capture the magic of Bhutan in a bottle. And I don't know what that looks like yet. You know, we're figuring it out. We don't have the luxury of 20 years of experimentation behind us. And so our plan is, you know, fail and fail fast. And the way that you do that is by trying a bunch of stuff simultaneously and quickly discarding the ones that aren't working. So do you see the wines actually making it into the States? Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, I already have distributors clamoring for allocation. Yeah. Really? Why? Well, I think it's an interesting story, right? One, it's Bhutan and people that don't know about Bhutan don't know about it, but the people that do, it's a bucket list destination. It's this magical secluded Shangri-La in the middle of the Himalayas and the opportunity to, to, taste some wine from there for, for wine people. I mean, I'm a wine geek. If I was not involved with this project at all, but I saw a bottle of Bhutanese wine, I'd track that down and I would try it just to see. It sounds like a whole lot of fun. Does the entity have a name? Is there a label that we could look for it under? Yes, it does. And I'm not trying to be cagey about it. We actually just filed the international trademarks for that brand name and they haven't been finalized yet. So I'm trying to avoid any complications. But yes, what we did, and this is a cool story. So in Bhutan, when a baby is born, the baby is brought to the monks and the monks give the baby its first name and its last name. So there's no family names. Really? Everybody's, you can't tell who's related to anybody because everyone has these just two names given to them by the monks. And so we went to the monks, the master name or monk and said, we want you guys to decide what our wine should be called. 
And so the monks went off and thought about it for six or eight weeks. And then they came back to us and they said, here is your name. Did you like the name? I did like the name. And more importantly, the name actually refers to the traditional offering of alcohol that is given to the gods at a Buddhist, at a Buddhist temple. Oh, cool. So, All right. It's pretty cool. I've been really happy with how the brand has progressed, but I'm trying to get enough legal protection behind it before I start talking about it. All right. So the next time we have you on, we'll get to know the name, I hope. Absolutely. And hopefully I'll have a bottle of it that we can we can drink yes of course and we'll do this in person that's for sure maybe we'll do this in person in bhutan i'm telling you come on over you know what i'm not just saying that i think that would be a fun thing to do and we could do our show from bhutan for a month or something like that it's a sincere offer i will share bhutan with anyone who's willing to go to bhutan i will share with with them because it is a life-changing magical experience that you'll leave a changed human being so do what do we ride do we ride horses camels llamas <laughs> uh ostriches what what do we ride actually what you do is you take an airplane into the paro airport which is unique and it's one of very few airports in the world that that Runway is shorter than the altitude that it is at. And the plane drops into this valley and you go screaming down this valley and you make these three big S turns to dodge the sides of the valley. And then you land. <laughs> it's very exciting. But that didn't answer what I ride. Uh, well, once you're in the country, then, then you ride a car. A car? I don't ride some sort of primitive form of four-legged creature. I've been there many, many times. And the most weirdest thing I've ever ridden was a Harley Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So it's a lot more sophisticated. And you thought you were going to a tropical island. So you probably brought brought some Bhutanine lotion. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, once I figured out it was in the Himalayas, uh, my game plan changed dramatically. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, listen, Michael, it's been a real pleasure having you on. This is really a really interesting project. And we're going to definitely keep track of what's going on with you. It's Michael Jurgens. If you want to know more about him, things that I didn't talk about on the show, you could Google him, right? You could find out all kinds of skinny on him because there's <laughs> there's a lot of Google stuff out there. But suffice to say, he's doing something that I think is really super cool. Michael, thanks a lot. I sure appreciate you being here. David, this was just a true pleasure. And I am absolutely sincere about getting you over to Bhutan. We're going to do it, but uh, we're going to put uh, Grape Encounters to bed because uh, we can't do shows this energetic without getting our beauty sleep. So we'll catch you back here next week. The Oregon Wine Experience returns this October. Bid on one-of-a-kind experiences in person or from the comfort of your home. There are hundreds of lots to choose from in the silent and miracle auctions. You can bid to win unique culinary outings and winemaker dinners, travel to wine regions, or escape to beautiful tropical beaches. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com, all to benefit children's health care. Savor the very best of Oregon. This edition of Grape Encounters has been brought to you by Total Wine & More. It's hard to imagine a more satisfying wine-related experience. Spend all the time you want at TotalWine.com or at your nearest store. Just make sure you're back here with me at this same time next week for another Grape Encounter.